Have you ever been too high? So in high school, let me tell you this story. I think it was my senior year. So we're in this tournament called the Jack Scott Tournament. The first game I have like in the 40s. The second game I cut school uh, the next day and we take a gravity bong rip. So I take a gravity bong out of one of these big ass Alhambra bottles. Like you remember the big, we cut the bottom up. You're hanging out with white kids. You already know. <laughs> you already know. It's a crazy time and we're all doing what we have to do to get through it. Two big things for me, this podcast, and we've had a ton of interesting guests of late, which has been great. And then hiking, uh, which I love doing. Like to get outside, nice place to be where there's not a ton of people. There's a ton of good hikes in Virginia. I've been hitting the trails a lot and uh, that's in large part due to Allbirds. They are uh, the new sponsor of the Greenlight Podcast and I'm wearing a pair of these shoes uh, right now. Beige tree dashers they sent me. Uh, they're great. They're lightweight. They're tough. And they have to be because believe me, I can uh, put a hurting on an athletic shoe. I, I could Zion Williamson a shoe on the trail. And these things stand up. All birds also walks the walk when it comes to the environment. So my tree dashers are made of all natural materials like merino wool, eucalyptus fiber, and sugar cane. And they look good. Really thrilled to welcome Allbirds to the Greenlight Pod. Go check them out at allbirds.com, the tree dashers. Welcoming Matt Barnes now to the Greenlight Pod. This is a guy who I always admired for his tough attitude in the NBA. I always thought he could have played football. Um, and now he's got a great podcast, All the Smoke with Steven Jackson. And you guys do a good job. How's Thanks. this podcasting thing going, Matt? It's been fun, but to touch back on what you said, I was a football player first. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was an All-American football player, the number one receiver um, in, in the 98 uh, high school class, uh, led the nation in touchdowns, All-American. So it was a tough decision when I went to UCLA just to play basketball because football was my heart. But I think I picked uh, the right sport because it allowed me to play, you know, 15 years professional ball. I don't think I would have got 15 years playing with you guys. You guys would have tore my ass up. Well, your body probably feels better than mine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> How many years did you play? I did 11, but I just, you know, I, I retired a year ago. And what I did is I retired before it was time. You know, wow. you see Same. a lot of guys hang on. I didn't want to be that guy. And I always wanted to kind of hang it up, still playing at a high level. So my body thanks. But, you know, my pops played. He played for 13 years. So I saw him walk around my entire childhood, limp around and not be able to do certain things that, that I'd like to do with my kids. So I got out. No, I, I love that. My brother played eight years in the CFL and, and called it a quit, won a great cup in Toronto. Oh, really? Just to see him the day-to-day. -day. Like, people don't understand. You guys, it, it trips me out that you guys are the one main sport that doesn't have guaranteed contracts. For what you guys put your body through, that's insane. It is fucked up. Speaking of longevity, this is perfect because I was going to ask you about Vince. Uh, talking about 22, I mean, like, Crazy. the dude was an NBA player longer than he was not an NBA player in his life so far. Yeah. So. You play with him two years, I think. Yep. What, what's he like? What made him tick? And how do you play that long? Because you did 14. Incredible human. You know, he part, played a part of three decades. You know, the end of the 90s, the 2000s, and, you know, uh, up until the uh, four, excuse me, four, right? The end of the yeah, yeah that, that was the crazy part. Three sounds crazy, but four is insane. Four decades. Uh, Vince is just a tremendous talent, dude. Really cool, down-to-earth guy. Probably one of the most gifted, skilled athletes I've ever seen as far as, you know, throw football 70 yards 
and shoot left-handed um, half-court shots like their right-handed shots. So he was just a tremendously gifted person and uh, a good guy. And, and I think that's what allowed him to stay as long as he felt like he wanted to play. You know, obviously he, his, his heyday had passed, you know, you could say maybe three or four years ago, but he was able to, be, being the good person he is, was able to mentor some of these young guys and, 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 and stay as long as he wanted to do. So we had a great time interviewing him on our podcast about a month and a half ago and just explaining the journey and his passion behind it. And he was in it. He just didn't know anything else, you know. So he's, you know, kind of a little apprehensive stepping away from the game. That, Like you said, he's been on earth playing basketball longer than he hasn't been playing yeah. basketball. It's going to be a whole new world for him. The first thing that came to mind is what you said. Like, of course he's apprehensive. Play 22 years. I mean, you become institutionalized to pro sports. And football players especially is more well-documented. Like, we struggle. Like, guys know that. Do you think that the NBA guys struggle in silence more? Or is that is that something that's just not talked about as much? Because I think we compartmentalize everything into head trauma. And there's right. that's part of it. But the the existential crisis, like, who the fuck am I now? No, like, right. what do I do? What do I answer to? you got to think we were trained to, you know, I mean, although my parents weren't drill sergeants, and I can't speak for you, but we were trained to be athletes. Yeah. You know, I mean? and we achieved it at the highest level. We're unfortunate enough to have, uh, you know, long careers. But at the so at the same time, when we're when we're done, we're going into fields. You know, and I, I know a lot of people could probably kick their feet up. But, you know, someone like me, like I'm ambitious. I want to do more things. So we're going into fields where it's kind of a double edged sword. Well, people will either give you the benefit of the doubt for what your career and what you did for your in your other job. Or they're putting you at the bottom of the totem pole, like this athlete thinks he can come and just do whatever. You know what I mean? So there's a kind of balance there of kind of understanding what that next path is. But if you when you take away something that that's all we've known, I think it's not just limited to football. I think it's it's highlighted probably in your guys' sport a little bit more, but everybody struggles. You know, I can't say everyone, a majority of guys struggle when that time is up. You know, you have a small window to make as much money, live out your dreams. And you're, you're known, you know, everyone wants to be famous now. You're known all over the world. You're on SportsCenter all the time. And you're always being talked about to just being a former athlete. And, and like they say, the crowd stops, the cameras stop and all that kind of stuff stops. And if you don't have a plan, fortunately, I played until I was 37, but I started making my post-career plans at about 31, you know? Yeah. So, so it took yeah. me and people don't realize like you can't, I see how guys can get lost because you think you can just stop playing your sport and then I'm going to jump right into other businesses and businesses don't turn that fast. Anyone who's in business understands it's a process. It takes years. So it was a perfect storm when I was able to retire. I think I signed a three-year deal the season I ended up retiring and I retired because one, I wasn't made able to see my kids as much and I wanted to see my kids more, but business started turning. So there's the gap where if you don't have a plan when you're going to retire, that you can easily get lost in spending money, doing drugs, women, whatever the situation may be, because for the first time we have no real structure in our life. Yeah, the structure is huge, especially in football. And like, it's even more so because, you know, y'all have X amount of dudes that sit on, on, you know, along the bench every night is what, 12 dudes on a roster or something like that. We got 53. And, you know, not just to mention, I think that sometimes what blows this perception that we all struggle out of the water is, you got 53 guys on an NFL roster. That doesn't count the guys that didn't make rosters. The average career is three years. So there are thousands upon thousands of dudes who have struggled through this thing, and not everybody in the NFL is financially secure. I'm not right. saying everybody in the NBA has got money when they get out. But, you know, the NFL, like, you still got guys who are staying at the Courtyard Marriott. Like, you know, they're, they're on the practice squad. They've been bouncing around team to team. So you get out. You, you got the existential crisis. You're like, 
you know, am I a football player? You got to be securing yourself beyond just being an athlete. You got to know who you are. Cause if you don't know who you are, when you get out, it'll tear you up because people don't care anymore. They don't care. Like you're, like you're used to people giving a shit about your life. Absolutely. You know, I was fortunate enough to understand at an early on, like I had a scratch and claw just to make it. So yeah. I knew any given time, you know, I was my first six years, I was playing a one year deal, you know, so right. it was always an audition. And that's why I played basketball, like a football player, balls to the wall as hard as I could every single night. But people don't understand at any given time that could have been over. Yeah. At any given time. And if you don't have a plan, like what's next? And, and I think people make the mistake of they'll see our contracts or, or see what we make. And first and foremost, that's cut in half by 40 percent depending on where you live at. And then all the stuff we're doing to take care of people, you know, we're taking right. care of the village. We're not just looking out for ourselves. No more. We're looking out for our family, close friends, relatives. We didn't know we had, like it gets crazy. <laughs> yeah. you know? So when people say like, and this is, you know, uh, an interesting conversation now because cl considering the climate, like should the NBA play, should the NFL play? And there's a handful of guys in the NBA that could be like, we're good. We're not playing. But a lot of those guys depend on these checks that are coming in. You know, people don't understand. Like you say, oh, if they're blowing that amount of money, they weren't responsible. A lot of responsibility. And obviously, it, they probably could have did a little bit better with their money. But who, who are we to say that? A lot of responsibility comes with that money. You know what I mean? So some of these guys are on paycheck to paycheck or, or really depend on this money coming in to support their families. Yeah, that topic's been hot. And you've been in the middle of it. And I thought you were pretty... Yeah, I'm a white dude with a podcast and I, yeah, I might've been a former athlete. People know where I stand on issues, but if I were to say, Hey Kyrie, like if you're going to wait for racism to stop, we're not going to play sports ever. for like ever. So like that could be misconstrued or I could be criticized. I'm not saying that's how I feel. I'm listening, but you know, you've got people, I mean, you and stack are tight, right? You got differing opinions within the league right now. Is it okay for guys to disagree on this and still love each other? And be on the same team. That's the key, man. We as 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 a league, as a culture, as a human race, it's okay to disagree. But I think where we mess up is we disrespect with that disagreement. Like we'll dis disrespect someone because we don't agree with them, and there's no progress made there. You know. So you made a great point. You know, Jack and I are very close, but we disagree on this particular topic. And once we discussed it, we kind of came to a tough common ground. And I think I was a little harsh when I said Kyrie needs to quit bullshitting and do this, but I was just in the moment and I felt like I was just talking to Jack on FaceTime mm -hmm. instead of we were on IG live and the, and the world saw. So I, I apologize for my approach and I respect every player and what their decisions are. But my thing is just have a plan. If you plan on sitting out, have a plan. I feel like now more than ever, the black voice is heard. Like they're finally after 400 years listening. And then on top of that, the black athlete, athlete voice is, as big as it'll ever be right now. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to strike while the iron's hot. We feel like there's some things that could be done uh, that these owners can do to really help shape the league, change the league, but then also help the communities that they're in. So I've been fortunate enough to be able to talk to Chris Paul, um, you know, a little bit on this, and he's the NBA Players Association president. And what, from my understanding is what they're doing is they're putting a list together of, of things they feel like these owners can do to help uh, diversity and management, help in these cities that they're in, and help the minority uh, population, you know, overall. Because you know there is no there is no NBA without black players, seventy five percent. Hard to say there is no NFL, sixty eight percent without African American players. So, I, but I really feel like the NBA players are the ones with the platforms and the voice. And I think if they can make a shift and a change in our sport, I think that'll have a domino effect in other sports. And I worry about the same thing, you know, like we've all been in this conversation. A few of us have been in this conversation, you know, for years now. And, you know, 
we've had this awakening where people are finally kind of rubbing their eyes and saying, oh shit, racism's real. Oh shit, like this is like, what Cap was talking about is real. What police brutality is real. Okay, we've got people's ears, but I wouldn't, I noticed that even on social and people's consciousness, it's already starting to fade. Like people are, and I worry about that. So like to people that say, if there's no sports, you know, we're gonna, if there's sports, we're gonna be distracted. We're already becoming distracted. And the point that I would make would be, Okay, Cap's protest, it was on the field, you know, and people told him, pick another place, pick the locker room, pick Twitter. And the point of him doing it on the field was that people don't listen unless you do it on the field. You have sports fans in America by the balls. So my take would be to make people maximally uncomfortable because that's the point. Only way change happens. Have a platform. And this is one that, so as you talking about a plan and all this stuff, and you've been involved in this stuff for a long time or anybody that follows you. What's the plan? But more importantly, how do you make people uncomfortable with the platform this July and August? Um, well, I think it's it, it's a plan as a, as a country first, um, and, and that's the call. While I was on, um, while I was late for this, is I'm trying to secure some funding for some stuff that we're doing. So the, the plan has to be to educate people around politics and voting, and it's not something you can learn overnight. And our goal is to create short content that spoon feeds you important stuff surrounding politics surrounding the actual voting process. Obviously, LeBron and his team are working on voter suppression. I think there's a lot of us doing different things, and I think at some point we'll all come together to get our message even stronger. But the plan is just to understand how, how important this voting is. And, and we're seeing firsthand that Republicans do everything they can to suppress our votes. You know what I mean? You see in Kentucky what's going on. Yeah, in, you in, posted in, that the other night. Tricks that Mitch McConnell's playing because Trump and McConnell and these guys know if, if everyone is allowed to vote, there's going to be a shift. There's going to mm -hmm. be a swing. And then hopefully we can get three more Democratic senators uh, in, in the Senate and, and really slowly start to shift things. You know what I mean? So the process is moving along and they're doing everything they can to stop us from that. So back to the point, the plan is just educating people and having them understand what's at stake right now. You know what I mean? Like we're not saying Biden's perfect, but I mean, no, I, fuck no, dude. I'm going to be inching to right. the polls, but I'm going to be there. You know what I mean? But I think at this point, Trump has showed his hand. You know what yeah. I mean? And he, 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 ultimate finesse game. The one thing I do respect, respect about Trump is his I don't give a fuck game is on a whole nother level. This guy yeah. does not give a fuck. He just does what he does. You know what I mean? And he, he finessed us. You know, he, he won the presidency and he was president for four years. And, you know, good luck to whatever's next. But I really feel someone that is a dog whistleblower for hate can't run this country i feel like unfortunately like this is the most disconnected in my 40 years on this earth i feel like the country's ever been you know and, and, and it's sad and that's unfortunate and you can you can point to his amazing um you can uh, his amazing employment rate for the black community you can point to a bunch of stuff but none of that stuff matters to me because there's hate behind it and and the message behind it is messed up so to me at this point it's anybody but trump but then also getting people to understand that you know, voting on your local and state level where the bills are made and passed and how, you know, beneficial that can be to really get involved in that. So educating people on those steps when we say vote, it's not just for the president, but it's on your local and state levels where we can really get things changed. So that's our whole initiative with our plan as, as, as a community moving forward. Um, basketball, I think theirs is more driven around the actual communities that these teams play in, making these owners really give some money back. You know, one idea that I was talking to Chris Paul about these owners starting, you know, a hundred, hundred, hundred fifty million dollar fund that particularly pertains to black and brown people in their communities. You know what I mean? Right. Schooling, edu um, um, 
you know, whatever the situation may be, uh, small businesses, there's a, there's a list of things that they can go. But because, you know, we've both been involved with giving back through our respective organizations, but most of the time it's just a photo op. And I was talking about this earlier. Like I've been to places where they wanted us to just take a quick picture and do some stuff and then leave. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm stay I don't do that shit. Like, I, I, I stopped doing that shit halfway through my career. It's not about to me. It's not because the cameras are here. It's because I want to help. You know what I mean? You're someone who you've always put your money where your mouth is. And that's why I respected you. And you've gone above and beyond what you've been asked. You know what I mean? There's a handful of us that really do it because we care. But to me, it just seems like sometimes the leagues do it for checking the box. You know what I mean? And it, it is what it is, but that's going to no longer be acceptable. You said something that's important. You know, politics need to be shrunk down to like, uh, yeah, be more concise because most people with our, you know, our attention spans and I got ADD like everybody else. Right. And, you know, the fact that politics and, 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 um, and issues are intentionally cloudy. They're intentionally cloudy, so people can't change them. You know, uh, the the bureaucracy, the the red tape, the the word salad that comes out when people are trying to describe what's what's being done on a governmental level. So I think that's huge. And then it's not new with Trump. The thing that always frustrates me is like, where did our country go? This is our country. I, I've said this before. Trump is the black light in a hotel room. He highlighted it. That's what he is. And I'd rather have the black light. You know, if there's anything positive that came out of his. Uh, his presidency is now we know. And the bar is so low that he just set the bar low and said, okay, I can do this. I won't lose my base. Oh, I'll just do this. And I can't lose my base. And it just continues until he doesn't give a fuck. Like you said, with, with everything at hand right now, you know, with the Bubba Wallace thing and all that stuff, every day it looks more and more like NASCAR indeed shocker did the right thing in calling the feds. I mean, you got people online who are, who are called the police on black people for barely nothing and they're mad at NASCAR for calling the FBI over a fucking noose in your only black driver's garage. What what about, you know, your experiences? Because in high school you were the victim of a hate crime. What are people not getting about you know, you're a big tough badass dude, but what do you feel when that happens? You feel broken. Uh, you know, my situation, I faced being Italian and black, uh, but kind of being raised uh, being raised black. Um, the first time I was really uh, around other white kids was when I went to school when I moved from the Bay Area to Sacramento. So I went at about nine years old, eight years old. And that's the first time I really had to associate with kids that were white. And it was nigger this, nigger that, wouldn't let me play nothing. So instead of, you know, being broken, coming home crying, my dad wasn't having that. He's like, if they call you a nigger, fight him. So I was always taught that and not saying that's right, but this is the 80s. And that's kind of how shit went. You know what I mean? So I kind of fought my way to acceptance until they gave me a chance to play sports. And then I was cool with everybody because I was a cool person. They just never gave me a chance through anything. So sports is what opened it because once I started playing, I was the best at football, basketball and baseball. Like, okay, well, this kid is kind of cool. So that's kind of how I got my acceptance. But it was tough for me early on because being biracial, I was never white enough and I was never black enough. So I couldn't run to the white side because I had this skin color. And then I couldn't run to the other, to the black side because I had this skin color and I had this hair. So it's just like, there was really nowhere for me to fit. So it was always just handle your business, you know, and that's yeah. how I was raised. So in, in, in high school, this is maybe three months before I'm leaving for UCLA, 1998. Uh, my sister is a sophomore at the time. And there's a boy that keeps bothering. He's been bothering her. She's told, I told, you know, tell him, she told on him, nothing happened. So it culminated one day where he called my sister a nigger and spit in her hair. And I was just finishing school for the day. And she came to me with her little girlfriend crying, showed me the spit in her hair. And this kid just happened to walk by. So I just beat the shit out of him. So then I get, we go back to the office, explain what happened. School doesn't want to hear it. And that's to this day why I won't give my high school a dollar 
Um, they didn't want to hear it. Uh, you know, his dad's a prominent lawyer. He wasn't raised this way. He doesn't talk this way. So pretty much calling me a liar, calling the, the spit in my sister's hair a lie, like just calling it all bullshit pretty much. So anyway, I get suspended for a week. Um, can't play basketball. And during my suspension, the, the KKK comes up to my high school and just vandalizes it, burns down a bathroom, hangs a, a, a mannequin with a noose with my football jersey on it, dyed nigger, swastikas everywhere, classroom, classroom windows being broken. It made national news, like the NAACP came down in, it was a crazy situation, but that's where I realized, like, although I'm proud to be Italian and Black, that the world looked at me as a Black man, you know? So I've always been, had a heightened sense of sensitivity and awareness for situations like this, you know? So with the Bubba Wallace situation, I think it was, I, I think this is a cover-up, you know what I mean? I, I saw something this morning where they said, you know, they went into all the garages and found 11 ropes, but none of them were tied. That's a noose. Only one. Was was a noose, yeah. Knots, but that's a fucking noose. I don't. Care Yo, bro, it's saying. amazing how many noose experts there are on the fucking all internet sudden, today. Like first, it, first it wasn't a noose. Then hey, yeah. that's not a noose. Like I'm like, really? Why do you know so that's well noose. the difference you know between? I mean? yeah. so, and I think you know, obviously the Jesse Smollett situation comes back to light because I think he probably lied in that situation. I don't know the hundred percent details, but from all the information that keeps coming out, he probably lied in that situation. So automatically. They're trying to throw Bubba Wallace. Yeah, that was so crazy to me. Because Jesse, Jesse, to me, at least making my judgment, speaking for myself, he seemed like a real asshole to exploit real racial tensions in the country. You don't have to say. I'm just saying, like, yeah. for me, it was. It's a. It, it bothered me on Bubba's behalf, and right. really, that's your talking point. Like, that's what you got. You got Jesse. One guy lies about something, so now every time a black person claims something, it's happened. not like it's not like Bubba called. Like NASCAR is the one to call. Bubba didn't yeah. make. You Bubba didn't I mean? call anybody. Obviously, they felt it was serious enough to go skip the police, skip whoever else is after them, and go to the FBI. Like something happened there, but I think that with everything they were trying to do, if they would really find out who did it, it would be really bad for NASCAR. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think they'd rather just push it off. Okay, well, we we can just say it wasn't this, and something else is going to come up, and we'll get over it, which is unfortunate because I applaud NASCAR first and foremost because you know it's been a predominantly white confederate flag type yeah. sport you know what i mean and for them to step out and do what they've done I, my hat's off to them i appreciate that and then all the support that the other drivers did give them you know there's a lot of people that are doing the right thing and are in it for the right reason but there's always going to be a handful of people who hate yeah and, and i think if they would have got to the bottom of who it was it probably would have been a bombshell so it's better off just to say hey this wasn't that but we see it yeah, we also didn't need a noose in Bubba's garage to know that there's some racist NASCAR fans. I mean, there was a fucking Confederate flag flying over Talladega. Somebody chartered a plane to fly that flag this weekend. Right. So I don't need that as a smoking gun for racism in America or in NASCAR. How about, um, you know, I was looking back at your tenure year to year, and you were in L.A. when the Sterling thing went down. Yeah. And, like, I think it's a great example of, oh, I employ black people. I have black friends. Black people see me at work every day. I'm not a racist. And then, you know, the mask gets pulled off. Like, was were people shocked by him no. when they heard that audio? People, people weren't shocked at all because he has a history of it. You know what I mean? And I think since the st second he stepped in the league, as, as the Clipper owner, they've been trying to get him out once they kind of really found out who he was. You know, so, so it didn't surprise me at all. And, and my whole point of it, because just for the story I told you, I didn't look at it as that big of a deal. Like I thought obviously it was wrong and this is going to be a problem, but I'm thinking like, he's not the only person that thinks like that. He's not the only owner that thinks like that in football, basketball, yeah, no. basketball. Like, he's the only one, just the only one dumb enough to get caught. 
So in the moment, it, it was obviously a big deal. Like personally, that's how I took it. But other guys hadn't experienced the kind of stuff and they were really hurt. Guys were hurt in our, in, in our meetings and, and deciding what we were going to do. And it's oddly enough, watching Black Ball, which happened six years ago, and I just watched it with the rest of the world, you know, a couple months ago before, before everything was really crazy. I would have a different point of view. I would sit out now. Yeah. And I was the major voice behind what we did, the jersey, taking off, the flipping the jerseys, taking them off. Like that was all my idea. And I was for playing because I thought at the time there was too much unknown. This is like we're in uncharted territory. Like, do we sit out until he's fired? Do How long is it going to be till he's fired? Is this going to – we're playing against a young warrior team. If you want to take it back to the sports perspective, we were the last team to kind of beat that young warrior yeah. team. You realize we beat him in the first round. The next year, that's when the dynasty started. So we're thinking, like, we have a chance to win a championship. We have a really good team. Um, we don't know what sitting out is going to do to us. So yeah. we kind of erred on the side of playing. You know, and then obviously being removed now from the situation six years, but being a retired player and looking at where the world is now, it's it's a whole different, you know, kind of historical context to what that would have meant in 2014 for us sitting out for racism. You know, that would have been incredible. So, you know, if there's one thing I could change, I wish we could change that. We learned a lot from it and yeah. understand it, but it's a different climate, but same story, you know today so that's why i really feel like now knowing the history of these owners and what you know probably most of them are like i'm not saying all of them but there's a handful of them that probably feel that way between football and basketball as black athletes we have to really stand up and, and make some demands you know what i mean you got you you pay us great you, you've given us opportunity but at the same time like there wouldn't be none of this without us so no yeah. it's it's a free market that's the thing that people don't understand is like it's a favor that athletes get paid a lot of money you know it's supply and demand and y'all motherfuckers like sports so we're good at it if you didn't pay our salaries, treat people like human beings. And then think how much money, when you look at it, oh, you're getting paid this much money. So if we're getting paid or, or Braun or Steph are getting paid, Tom Brady's getting paid, just how much the money is the owners making? If they're able to pay these guys this kind right. of money, imagine how much money we're bringing right. in. Just like, exactly. just like these student athletes are bringing into these colleges. You know what I mean? Right. Imagine how much money we're really bringing in if they're uh, able to pay us what they pay us. You know what I also realized in reading about that whole story was that side chicks have it good in L.A. because his side chick had a fucking Porsche, a, a Bentley, a two and a half million yep. dollar. She had it better than me. Shit. That might have been as bad a part as almost anything. So That's a scary game that you bring because it's, it, it's, a, it's a real game in business for these. Like, I'm going to game the shit out of my twin sons. Like, they're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to pull it up. But it's oh, yeah. a full-fledged game these days for women to try to, like, hey, let, let, let's, let, let's map out these oh, yeah. next 18 years. Oh, Maybe. yeah. It's dangerous out here. That's a whole other show in itself. But it's, it's, a, it's a cold world out here. So speaking of that and the bubble, uh, and 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 Orlando is the only threat to the bubble tender. <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy situation, man. That's a crazy situation to be isolated that long, no family. If you're single, no side chicks. That's not happening. There's it's no way. Hard. That's hard. That's yeah, hard. You know, and you know what? And you know what they're gonna do if they're smart. And I don't know how this is gonna go over, but they set up an adjacent bubble that Tinder sponsors. Right next to the quarantine, a Tinder bubble. Hey, I think that would get 100% participation. I think everyone would be in it. I think everybody happened. go back to work. Right. You, hey, right. by the way, if they call you, there's guys dropping like flies. Is Matt Barnes going to gonna play basketball this summer? No, I'm done. I can't. Okay. I can't even. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to play until I didn't want to play no more. Like you said, walked away before. I, I could have played another three or four years. Like I said, mm -hmm. I had just signed a three-year deal. 
I just walked away and I was at peace with it. You know what I mean? I was ready for what this entrepreneur life and just being a full-time father of, of three young black men, which I am now, offered me. So I was excited to move on. Like I said, the business stuff had started picking up. So I never, I haven't played. I haven't looked back. I haven't. And you got to think I commentated for ESPN and talk about yeah. it. I don't miss it at all. From the outside looking in, I know we all have our tough days and I've got my tough nights and whatever, but I, you seem like a guy who transitions well. So that's awesome. You talk about weed. I mean, you've talked about mental health or cannabis. It was funny. Frank Shamrock told me that, uh, he goes, you got to stop calling it weed because I've never picked up a weed and smoked it and it, and it hurts, you know, the way we talk about cannabis, call it mm -hmm. cannabis. So Shamrock, I got you. Cannabis and mental health. You're pro-cannabis. You've talked about depression and that sort of thing. Ha ha what's the functionality for you? Um, I started, I grew up in a household that was filled with, filled with drugs. I think feel like my parents were fun functioning drug addicts. Um, my dad was also a drug dealer. Um, so there was a lot of violence, abuse um, growing up. But the one thing, so I saw cocaine at an early age. I saw everything you can imagine at an early age. But I remember the one thing that used to kind of calm my dad at the end of the day was when he would smoke a joint. And I didn't know at the time, I'm three, four or five years old, just kind of coming into realizing what this world is. And I realized like, oh, my dad is, works hard. He butcher by day, drug dealer by night, but I'd seen him whip hell of people's asses. Like he was a badass to me, you know what I mean? So, but the one time I saw him cool, calm and collected and kind of sociable with us and in a good mood was at the end of the day when he was smoking joints. So that always stuck with me. And then when I was 14, I stole some weed from him and started smoking and, and never really looked back. Was so it I, good weed? Um, at the time, no. It was, he had some Reggie. <laughs> I was in, yeah, I was in, you know, I mean, I was in Sacramento. So once I kind of got in the game and then I had my other homeboys, like, yeah, I'm on what's going on. Like being in Sacramento, we, we had a cheat code. So after the first time I was always smoking good weed, but I smoked it through high school, through UCLA and through my whole career, you know, and I was never someone who can take painkillers. They always killed my stomach. I'm a social drinker. I'll drink in public, but I'm not really, you're not going to catch me at home drinking. But smoking was something that always allowed me to escape my crazy life, slow my mind down, sleep, um, took pain away at a later time. And then I just enjoyed being a kind of being, being able to go leave my current situation and kind of be somewhere else mentally for a little while. So it always helped me. And then fast forward 25 years later, now they have doctors saying that it does everything I just mentioned. You know, it helps with stress. It helps with focus. It helps with sleep. It helps with depression. It helps with, you know, eating. You name it. You know what I mean? So it helps with everything. So it, it's, it's come a long way and, I, and, I, and I'm very happy with that. Um, I took on being an advocate right out of the league. You know, I was someone who got caught two times. Um, you get three strikes in the NBA. The third time is you're suspended five games without pay. So I was, I was, I got caught like 2.75 times. I allowed to, yeah. they allowed me to turn myself in twice. Um, <laughs> and, then I, and then I, and then I exited stage left. But I just wanted to be that advocate because when I was in there, you know, the, the NBA has a little bit over 400, uh, 400 players in it. Over 200 guys were in the, uh, the NBA drug program for just weed alone. You know, yeah. it's like, that's crazy. Like, and this is from your best, some of the best players in the world to rookies and everything in between. So I think the, the stigma slowly started lifting with the more education and research that came behind it now. And you, you see the leagues are starting to adjust their policies, which I think is great because fans don't understand is, you know, we have an opioid epidemic outside of the pandemic, uh, the pandemic of coronavirus and racism. Opioid pandemic is huge and it kills every, it, it's knocking everyone down. So when we're in sports, they're giving us everything from Toradol to Oxycontin to, you know, you name it. We Listen, man, I couldn't play without my shot of Toradol. And, yeah. and the reason I smoked, and this is one thing that sometimes irritates me about 
people's assumptions about you. If I say, and I came out and said, and I said it casually because I got caught on the Dan Patrick show. Dan Patrick asked me about marijuana. I, I was like, man, if anybody knows me for all these years, I mean, I basically hinted at the fact and the things I'm interested in, the things I'm tweeting late at night. Like, don't you know I'm kind of high at night? Like, so I just kind of, I'm like you. I just spoke my mind when people were like, oh, he does it for pain. He does it for this. No, everybody has a different functionality for it. I think the commonality between the NBA and the NFL, it sounds like I need something to turn the volume down at night. You know, because like when you're on that treadmill with all that adrenaline, that violence in my game, the pressure, when I get home, I want to be a father to my kids. And that's not a wound tight guy. And I, and I can't sleep without it. Like for a while, I was on the sleeping pills and I was taking way too much. Right. Best day of my life was pouring those things down the drain. And this kind of came in at a time where when I got in the league, you just kind of got what you could. But towards the end of my career, it was like, oh, no, we got dispensaries now. We got to West Coast. I can snag something like guys can get you real medical stuff. So I was getting good strains that like work for me. So the game has changed. I think it's great. Is there anything you can't do high? Like, what do you not like doing high? Nothing. I played high. I, I take meetings high. It's me. I feel like I'm a better me. You know what I mean? And I think that us still being productive athletes and fathers and businessmen and whatever else we do, we, it's just been a stigma that's been holding this back for so long, you know, which is unfortunate. So I think, you know, the more education, obviously the better, but I think you also hit it on the head when you talk about even just an average person at the end of the night, everyone needs something to turn down. So some people turn to drinking, some people turn to sleeping pills, some people yeah. turn to drugs, you know, but at the end of the day, to me, a joint has always just been what it was for me. I knew that I was I'm something, you know, being an athlete, sometimes you don't smoke, you know, our shit is crazy where we'll be in a situation where say we'll play Portland tonight and go into double overtime, but then we still have to leave, you know, so we once that game's over, we'll, we hop on a flight, we're heading to San Antonio, we play a back-to-backs, we're playing Tim Duncan on TNT the next night, so we're flying yeah. to San Antonio, get to San Antonio at three or four in the morning, you can't just go right to sleep, you know what I mean, so you're, you're going to sleep when the sun comes up, so then you got to be at your best to play Tim and Manu and Tony and the great San Antonio team. So it's just like, you don't understand what that travel. They don't know the grind of, and it's different in football. It's not like a baseball or basketball grind where we're not on the road as much, Right. but you know, it is. You guys are running into a wall every single day. What you guys do is, is, is almost on another level. Like I said, I was a football player at the beginning. My brother played, never made it to your level, obviously, but just understanding People understand you're running into a wall in practice or not as much in practice, but in games, every single game you're running into a wall. You know what I mean? And nobody's body is going to feel good after that. But you could play high. Yeah. See, I, I never played high. I, like, there's, there's a few things I can't do high, okay? Number one, I don't like podcasting high when I'm talking to somebody that I don't know well because I can be like, I'm kind of paranoid and I could be like, that's a weird vibe or he doesn't understand what I'm saying. Like, if I was high right now, I'd be looking at you on Zoom and I'd be like, <laughs> he thinks this is the dumbest fucking question in the world. Uh, another thing I can't do high, okay? I can't get high in the kitchen. I do it all the time, but getting high in the kitchen is a bad idea because be, you need to get, if you get high upstairs, this is the biggest cheat. If you get high upstairs and not in the fucking kitchen, you're not going to eat. You're not going to be too lazy to walk downstairs. Once I'm on Call of Duty, I'm on Call of Duty. But if I'm in the kitchen and I'm blazed, I'm getting into the mochis, the popsicles, the ice cream, pork yeah, rinds, getting home from the bar. Too, right? My kids', kids foods, that's, yeah, that's they're the gone. Problem, man. The kids' food is the problem. If I didn't have kids, I, I've been able to, like, I've been doing this so long that I can, you know, hone my, my munchies to, I, I've doused myself with fruit and, and granola, you know, bar stuff that's just not as bad as the bad stuff. But, you know, my kids, 
They get away with the cupcakes and the cookies and the Capri Suns and shit. And that's where I get in trouble at. They're gone and they're gone. You come down in the morning. It's not just like if I eat my snacks, I'm responsible. When my wife walks down in the morning is like, where the fuck are the chips? Ahoy. <laughs> that's like the reward for Waylon reading. Right. You know, like, so, I mean, I definitely hear you though. Like I, I talked to basketball guys and some football guys can play high. I like, listen, before every night game of my career in the morning, I was hot. Right. Now, I've got a lot of buckets at night in big situations, so you can't mm -hmm. tell me that it, it, it fucked up my play. I go, take a nap and wake up, kind of drink five cups of coffee, and I'm good to go. But somebody asked, um, this: what, have you ever been too high? In high school. So in high school, let me tell you this story. But you remember Teen Wolf when uh, – yeah. remember when they were moving and everything was just slow motion? Yeah. So we cut school my – I think it was my senior year. So we're in this uh, tournament called the Jack Scott Tournament. And Kevin Johnson, former NBA player, mayor of Sacramento, he had won. He had set the record for winning MVP three years. So I won in my first three years. This is my senior year. I'm supposed to win in my fourth year. So we cut school. The first game I have, like, in the 40s. The second game I cut school uh, the next day, and we take a gravity bong rip. So I take a gravity bong out of one of these big-ass Alhambra bottles. Like, you remember the big? We cut the bottom up. You were hanging out with white kids. You already know. You already know. <laughs> So uh, I went to all white high school. Yeah. So they had me hitting this gravity bong like at two thirty. Played. I got so high that 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 game I probably had like four to six points. Airballed like two layups. Keep in mind the last the game before I had like forty. Easy, Matt. I averaged four to six points in high school. Yeah. Okay? I was the enforcer without the bong. No, I, I was. But so so all my friends drove in the bleachers laughing, knowing they're still <laughs> high. I'm high as fuck playing still. And then I so I had a terrible game that game. The next game, I came back and had a huge game, but I didn't get MVP because of that fucking oh, game. No. game. So I didn't break the record. But that was the one time I was too high. But besides that, like, my routine was similar. Like, we would go have shoot-around, which is at 11 or 12 for an hour. I'd come home, smoke a joint, eat. I would take a nap then wake up, shower, and go to the game. You know what I mean? And by that time, I had smoked four or five hours before. I, I'm not someone that's going to smoke right before I play, no. like going in there because that's just oh. unprofessional. You stink, whatever. Yeah. But I would, you know, it was in my system. And like I said, it just allowed me to lock in and, and be me. So it yeah. was something that I always did through, even in college. For know? me, it just let me sleep like the day away because there's nothing worse than being an NFL player and knowing just sitting in your hotel room all day at because the, they put us in a hotel. I know you guys are like grownups, but even a home, a home game, they <laughs> right. treat us like fucking kids. So I'm in, you're in like the airport Marriott and I'm staring out the window at a parking lot thinking about tackling Ezekiel Elliott at 8 p.m. <laughs> and all the pressure in the world. We only get 16 of them. So I got to sleep. So I right. got to, man. But I totally hear that. I mean, it's different in every sport. I because we got a few minutes left. I want to hit tough guy stuff. Okay, yeah. you were fined four hundred thousand dollars in your career, uh, four hundred fourteen to be exact. I looked, at, mm. and I like that. Mm. Um, you were a legit tough guy. Where's the NBA going with that? I mean, is it, it gone? It doesn't exist no more. And I think people have to understand. I, I was one of the last myself. You know, Stephen Jackson, Zach Randolph, Tony Allen. We kind of faded out, and the new NBA is more people don't want to see highlights of a defensive battle or physicality. They want to see Steph hitting 10 threes and guys dunking, so they want to see highlights. So with that has come the growth of the game. But uh, enforcers, defensive-minded players, like that doesn't exist anymore in the NBA. Uh, who in the NBA in your time, and you mentioned a few of them, but like I'm not talking just like a pest on the, the court. Who could actually throw hands in today's NBA? Like who's your all-dark alley team? Ooh. Um, I would take Steven Jackson. I'd take Zach Randolph. I'd take Tony Allen. I'd take Ron Artest. 
and I'd take Kenya Martin. That's my starting five. That's a quick, quick starting five. It's almost like you've <laughs> thought about this before. I, so like you brought up, you brought up uh, Meta World Peace, uh, which is very fitting that his uh, name is World Peace. Uh, when you grew up watching him play basketball, and you know Malice at the Palace, a lot's changed since that happened. And you were in like your first or second year in the league, so you overlapped, saw the new NBA, the old NBA. What's changed and how would we handle that now? If there was a mouse at the palace, would we be better about breaking it down on first take and, and you know, on, on. Yeah, because you, you know. have more people like me and Steven Jackson and, 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 and Kendrick Perkins and guys that have actually been in there doing it, breaking it down. You know, although there were some guys back then that were breaking it down. It was scary. It was a scary situation. You know what I mean? It was a scary situation. So obviously I think we'd be more prepared for it. I hope we had never have to see it again, but it's a possibility. And I think it would be more of a, it would still be a black eye. So I don't think it would be good in any. No, it wouldn't be good, but you, I feel like people would understand that now we have a greater consciousness, especially with like a lot of these courtside type dudes who are yelling racist shit at, you know, Russell Westbrook or whatever, like there's been a heightened consciousness. Listen, if you reach in and you interact with the athletes, you become one of the athletes. And so, you know, it's, I, I would hope people, it would change a little bit. Speaking of courtside, what are the do's and don'ts? Like you're sitting on an NBA bench, you're getting ready for a game, and you're like, okay, this motherfucker pisses me off doing this courtside or this guy. I mean, like, you know, what should you do and what should you not do if you're sitting courtside in an NBA game? You do whatever you want. You know what I mean? I don't give a shit. I'm someone like if you're doing something crazy, I'm going to cuss you out. You know, you're talking crazy to me. I'll cuss, like, I think that kind of interaction is dope. Sometimes it's not even cussing out. Sometimes it's just back and forth. You know, I got into a play May- Mayweather one time and it ended up cussing each other out. But it was dope because it was just the interaction amongst the game. You know what I mean? Like we were playing against Cleveland and I was with the Clippers and it was a battle the whole time. And sometimes that just makes the game better. I would say do's and don'ts. I, w- I would say don't bring like a bad chick like first two, bro or two. If you're a dude, don't bring her because she's going to get snatched by somebody. And yes, guys, dude. You know, I, I'm like, guys come and show their girls off in the front couple rows. And then the next day you'll hear someone like, oh, I got her number. Or so it's like, if you're, yeah, if you're married, like that's one thing. But if you're on a date, like you're going to spend 10 grand yeah. to take a chick to, to, to meet NBA stolen. players. Never get stolen. I would sit her back a little bit. That's one thing. That's funny. We, we used to talk about that because guys used to come like try to flaunt who they're with. And only did they know that either someone else had already had her or they're going to get her. So it's just like, that's a, don't bring them around unless it's like your wife. And that's still even dangerous sometimes. Is there any celebrity that is actually a distraction? Because I feel like you guys are immune to celebrity. Oh, like if somebody no. pops down in the front row. I love it. Like I said, I, I think it's great for the game. I think it's fun. As long as it stays with it being in bounds. You know, to me, no racial, no family, no blatant disrespect. But I, I love people who cheer and are passionate about their team and are screaming, yell and cuss at you for it. As long as it stays within the grounds of being a fan. Quick lightning round before I let you go, man. I appreciate the time. Um, you're going to start a franchise with one guy right now in the NBA. Who is it? Kevin Durant. Fuck, I was looking for a young guy. Give me the, give me the under 25. Um, Luca. Yeah. Because Zion, you just never know. It's a big body. You don't, Zion's going to be great, too. But I, If he can stay healthy. Yeah. I think shooting is, is, shooting is the ultimate cheat code. You know what I mean? If you're able to shoot, that's great. Zion's going to have to learn how to shoot, but Luca just... Is, is a boy wonder already. So that's why I would pick him over Zion. Could you smoke Don Nelson under the table? Oh, no question. But he has a marijuana farm now, dude. So do I. 
I'm not losing it. I'm not losing the Nelly. I would love to smoke with Don Nelson. I don't know barely anything about him. He just looks like a guy you want to smoke. No, with. man. He used to. He knew we smoked. You know what I mean? He like one time I tell you a quick story. We were in uh, Utah the second round of the playoffs after we beat Dallas in the first round, and he put me, Stack, Jack, and Baron all in the same. Like we all had suites right next to each other, and put a big ass gym fan at the end of the hallway and just blew the hallway. <laughs> like, you know, Utah's all white. They don't fuck with us at all. That was one of the most racist places we ever played. But Nelly didn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like he let us. He, he let us be us. And that's why I think that team was so dope. Yeah, they got they had that. They gave MJ that fucking shrimp pizza. He, I don't know why he got the shrimp on the pizza. Anyways, you're supposed to have people to taste it for you. Maybe some of those uh, do guys on the documentary should have ate the pizza before the goat. Uh, how about um, how about one NBA player to run for office? Um, I Besides actually, you. Yeah, like I actually want to run for mayor in about 10 years. But current player, uh, that can run, I mean, LeBron could be president. No bullshit. I yeah, like he probably could be president. NBA player you played with who will be a coach? I think Draymond Green would be a great coach. I don't think he will be, but I think his mind is incredible. I would say someone who could be and should be a coach is Draymond, although I don't think he will. Give me your uh, favorite three strains if you got them. Um, I'm just going to I'm gonna have to say ours. You know, Volvo, um, Blue Slush, and Bonbon. You can find them all at Seven Leaves. Look them up, uh, Seven Leaves California on Instagram and sevenleaves.com. We'll be uh, distributing all through California soon once we kind of get back on track because we have a new distributor. Uh, we did a partner with Herbal, so we'll be all over California shortly. And hopefully after these regulations get broken down and marijuana is legal everywhere, we'll be across the country and hopefully across the world. Look at that. As, this, as the clock strikes zero, I'll walk you into a shameless plug. This is how you well, podcast, bro. Two, two you, pros here. You can't make that shit up, man. <laughs> Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it, man. Like I said, we never got a chance to really hang out. I hope after this we do burn a couple yeah, man. of food, respect it from a distance. First and foremost, your father was a killer. Appreciate you know it. I mean? So I love that. And I like how the type of player you were and how you always were not just a talking head. You were really donating your contracts and giving back to the community, man. And that's respecting and it's beautiful. And we appreciate, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate all you do. And I enjoy the pod. Uh, hope to catch up soon, man. Oh, man. All right, awesome. Matt.